Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's a phony wall, a phony declaration, and a phony deal. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go on a Monday, Monday, February 18. Uh, so good to see you today. Hope you had a great weekend. Are you ready for another whole week? This is uh, President's Day, but we're here, and you're there. And so uh, a few of us are working, or a few of us are least paying attention to what's in the news today, uh, and the United States Congress, which never just takes one day off. Of course, they have the entire week off uh, to celebrate President's Day after they got a slap in the face on Friday by the President of the United States, who said, I don't care what Congress does. We might as well get rid of Congress because I'm going to do what I want to do anyway there's only one branch of government. It's me, 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 me. Donald Trump and his phony emergency declaration. So good to see you today. We'll bring you up to date on what's going on uh, on the emergency declaration front, of course. Uh, we'll also, uh, of course, uh, take a look at what's going on with uh, the former acting head of the FBI, Andrew McCabe telling 60 Minutes and Scott Pelley that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was so worried about Donald Trump's mental capacity, he even discussed with his top people the possibility of getting a majority of the Congress to invoke the 25th Amendment, and he even volunteered, he, Rod Rosenstein, to wear a wire in the Oval Office to get the president on the record. Wow. It gets worse and worse, folks. Lots you're going to want to talk about. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. On Twitter, as always, at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. He's, yes. He's a free man. Oh. Ex-New York Congressman Anthony Weiner has been released from federal prison. He spent about 15 months there. 
Uh, remember, he actually went to jail. Not only did he fall from grace politically and uh, had to, you know, he, remember he tried to run for mayor of New York. Remember that? In the documentary. In the great documentary. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, after that, he got in even more trouble because he sent sexually explicit messages to a minor, which sent him away to prison for 15 months. Well, he is out. He is out. He's already reported to a halfway house in Brooklyn. He was spotted yesterday going to pick up some food. Uh, at a local restaurant, taking it back to the house. But he is out of prison, uh, hopefully uh, getting some help that he needs. Uh, hopefully. And um, the less we hear about his name, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just hope he goes away. Yeah, seriously. Uh, did you watch the NBA All-Star game last night, Bill? Uh, sorry. Wasn't it was a my very exciting radar. event. Yeah. It was a very exciting event. You know, they changed the rules of all this here in recent uh, years. Where they used to just be the East versus the West, and now what they do is they take the top two vote-getters, and then they get to pick their team. So it was Team LeBron, LeBron James, uh-huh. of course, versus oh. Team Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So this is like another all-star baseball game? Uh, well, this is basketball. Yeah, this but I know. But, I mean, same kind of thing. Well, every sport has an all-star game. Okay. Yeah. They, you know they, what I think about the all-star game. Yeah. Well, I know what you think about the home run derby, but you, did you feel the all-star, the all-star game. game. Oh, yeah. oh, no. Oh, yeah. oh no. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, the NBA all-star game is the best of all the all-star games, so I'll, I'll spare you any more detail on it and just say Team LeBron beat Team Giannis 178 to 164. It was oh, not a God. defensive matchup, and it never <laughs> is at these all-star games. <laughs> Uh, it really is just yeah. one long highlight yeah. reel. And uh, one final story. Sure sign that spring is right around the corner. McDonald's has announced the Shamrock Shake is back. These are the oh. green milkshakes. Oh, yeah. Remember these things? Yeah. The yeah. green milkshakes, they are mint-ish flavored. It's a combination of vanilla soft serve, minty Shamrock Shake syrup, and, of course, whipped cream on top. So spring is here, Bill. Spring is here. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. A phony crisis, a phony emergency declaration, and a phony wall. And a phony president on top of it. That's it. That's what it's all about. What do you say, everybody? Happy Monday, Monday, February 18. Here we go. It is uh, the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. and our nation's capital. Our studio right here on Capitol Hill. uh, And we uh, start out here putting together the news of the day and bringing it to you online on television and on the radio. Online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And let's bug you again and remind you uh, to check out our podcast. The podcast so important and growing in numbers every day. And you just get there by anywhere you um, normally go to get your podcast. Uh, podcasts are the big thing these days. More and more people going there. Uh, and uh, you can find ours, again, wherever you get a podcast or at BillPressShow.com. Don't forget to sign up so you're part of the team. And then we invite you to join us as well on the radio out in Indiana, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks. And in Chicago, anywhere in the greater Chicago area, there we are with you on WCPT on television, nationwide, every nook and cranny of the United States of America, on Free Speech TV, part of the Direct TV network. With the big stories today, yes, President, President Trump 
and his emergency declaration on Friday and the reaction that that's been getting in the Congress and around the country. The Pope ripped the president, the priestly powers away from the four. I mean, this guy was a big deal in the United States and in Washington. Cardinal McCarrick, the Cardinal of Washington, D.C., no longer the Cardinal, not even a priest anymore, can't wear the garb. They can't. He can't have the name Father. He can't uh, exercise any priestly duties. He is out. He can't get any money, uh, his uh, whatever pension or whatever he would get from the church. He is thrown out of the Catholic Church. Boy, that hasn't happened, never happened for somebody uh, with as much power as he did. All, of course, because he was found guilty of sexual abuse himself, not just covering the sexual abuse of other priests who served under him. And, yes, Andrew McCabe, former direct, acting director of the FBI, in a stunning interview last night with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, saying that the Department of Justice leadership and the leadership of the FBI were so concerned about Donald Trump's mental capacity that they discussed seeing if they could get enough members of the cabinet, count up enough votes to actually invoke the 25th Amendment and get Donald Trump thrown out of office. Oh, my God. Yes, indeed. Meanwhile, yeah, we'll start with the big story. It was Friday in the Rose Garden, where, as expected, Donald Trump came out and said, okay, First of all, and by the way, one of the most bizarre appearances of a whole string of bizarre appearances. How many times can we say this? It was right. one exactly. of the more it, insane, surreal uh, scenes we've ever seen. In the several White House. people pointed out there was no teleprompter there. Donald Trump said, I'm just going to go out and wing it. And boy, he did wing it. Uh, first of all, so he did say, yes, indeed, as I've threatened many times, I'm going to sign this. Declaration of Emergency today. We're going to be signing today. Today. Mm -hmm. And registering mm -hmm. national emergency. And it's a great thing to do because we have an invasion of drugs, invasion of gangs, invasion of people, and it's unacceptable. Yep, he goes on, of course, right. He's got to, every, every time he talks about the wall, the border. He's got to talk about his litany of rapists and drug dealers and boom, 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 on and on and on. Uh, and he's, he, tries, he tries to make it a victory, of course, showing that he really did win uh, because, and this is so bogus. I mean, really, the fact is he could have had $25 billion, He could have had $7 billion a year ago or six months ago. Last December, he could have had, what was it, 3 or $4 billion. Yeah, he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He kept saying, I want $5.7 billion, $5.7 billion. So he ends up with $1.4 billion, and here he is. He still tries to say that that was a win for him. I got almost $1.4 billion when I wasn't supposed to get $1. Not $1. He's not going to get $1. Well, I got $1.4 billion, but I'm not happy with it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just that's, that's, he's referring to a flip comment that Nancy Pelosi made a month or so ago when somebody said, would you give him a, a, a dollar for the wall? And she said, no, not one dollar. She said, no, yes, I will. I'll just give him one dollar. I mean, she was just kidding around with the report. Obviously, Trump has to make that a big thing. And he got $1.375 billion 
in this in this uh, proposal that passed by Congress, uh, which he signed, by the way. But that's for um, that's for repairing. Most of it is for repairing offenses that are already up. It does include 55 miles for new fencing, but not for any wall. He got nothing for the wall. He got zero for the wall. Uh, but this shows that this this time where he really we would hear Donald Trump totally off the rails. Here he is now playing out. Now that I've signed this, here's what's going to happen next. Follow along, everybody. (laughs) Find you along. Yeah, may I remind you, going in and coming out of this, this is the President of the United States talking. The order is signed, and uh, I'll sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office, and we will have a national emergency. And we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court. Just like the ban, they sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. He sounds like a valley girl. <laughs> you can hear, you yeah. can hear, it, like in the background, the press corps is laughing because yeah. they don't know what's going on. It's yeah. so weird, totally weird. Uh, and and yeah, well, he's got a couple things right there. They are going to be sued. You bet. You mean they're going to be sued? They're going to be sued, <laughs> and probably in the Ninth Circuit because. California is in the Ninth Circuit. I need to take a nap. I uh, didn't have enough executive time today. Mm -hmm. And the Attorney General from California (laughs) has said they're going to file the first lawsuit. Here he is, Javier Becerra. It's become clear that this is not an emergency, not only because uh, no one believes it is, but because Donald Trump himself has said it's not. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because at this at this rambling whatever it was, hardly a news conference, this announcement on Friday. In response uh, to a question from uh, Peter Alexander from uh, NBC, well, why did you do this? Because why couldn't you work with Congress or whatever uh, Donald Trump admits? Then remember, he's talking about a national emergency, national emergency using powers that the president was given in 1976 no, 1986, I believe. Or maybe it was 76. I've got to double-check that. Uh, at any rate, he's given those powers to be able to take action when there's a real national crisis affecting the entire country and Congress, for some reason, is not there or can't act fast enough, right? That's what these powers are for, emergency powers. That's what the word means. Well, Donald Trump <laughs> undercuts the fact that there's an emergency when he says, I don't have to do this. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, I'm impatient. I want to get it done now. Uh, I don't want to take time to deal with Congress. I don't want to worry. I didn't need to do this. I didn't need to do this. I didn't need to do this. And by the way, I love the fact. uh, So what did he do with this national emergency? Friday afternoon, I was there at the White House when he hopped on Marine One. If you were following me on Twitter, you would have seen the photos. And he went down and he played golf all weekend. National emergency. Let's play golf. Did you see the 
photo that somebody snapped at uh, the Trump golf course of him at the omelet station. Oh, no. I didn't see. He is dressed in, in all beige in his golf outfit, and he's waiting for an omelet to be made at an omelet station at the Trump golf course. There he is. Now, what's well, a national emergency? <laughs> I didn't need to do this. Right. Yeah, didn't need to you do know, this. There was a great Twitter thread from one of the heads of the uh, legal uh, uh, division in ACLU, the ACLU. And they were just tweeting all the different things that he was saying that said, this is going to come up in court. This is going to come up yes. in court because it's going to be fought and judges are going to have to take a look at whether or not this was an actual emergency. And there were like three or four instances before he got to the line where he said, I didn't need to do this. Mm-hmm. And once he got to that line, they said, this is open and shut. Right. You know, you know, the first round of arguments in court are going to be quoting Donald Trump himself way back, by the way. In November 2014, which we pointed out last week, when President Obama was considering the use of an emergency declaration to help the Dreamers, and where Donald Trump said it was blatantly unconstitutional, he should be sued, it should go to the Supreme Court, and not only that, but the President Obama should have been impeached if he declared a national uh, uh, an emergency declaration. So they can use that. They can use Donald Trump says, I didn't need to do this. And they certainly can use the fact that he spent the entire weekend playing golf down at Mar-a-Lago or his golf course down there uh, near Mar-a-Lago. Uh, <laughs> it was such a national because it was such a national emergency. And then there's the response. And this is where it really gets ugly because all of those people, starting with Mitch McConnell, who and are these Republicans in Congress, who for the last three weeks or so have been saying, look, you know, we support the president. We think there's a problem at the border. We got to get him, give him the money, but no emergency declaration. No emergency, because the use of an emergency declaration for this, which is not a real emergency, would certainly violate the Constitution of the United States, would amount to an end run around Congress, would set a dangerous precedent, which it would, because any president after Donald Trump can use an emergency declaration for any pet project of his or hers. And, by the way, that this would be the first time, and it is the first time, that a president has tried to use an emergency declaration for something that Congress definitely rejected. In other words, I want this project, I want this money for this project. Congress says no. No president has ever used an emergency declaration in that case, just to get a pet project billed, which Congress has rejected. So it is a blatantly unconstitutional undermining of the United States Congress and of Article One of the Constitution of the United States. And all these Republicans said that. Chuck Grassley said it. Mitch McConnell said it. Lindsey Graham said it. So, of course, they're going to stand up today and said, we will not and cannot support what Donald Trump did on Friday. Oh, yeah, here's Lindsey Graham. Surprise, surprise, yesterday. When it comes to Trump, uh, the Congress is locked down and will not give him what we've given past presidents. So, unfortunately, he's got to do it on his own, and I support his decision to go that route. What a total sellout. You could have written this, though. You knew, you knew this was coming. Absolutely. Bend over, Lindsay. I mean, come on. It's just so 
disgusting. And by the way, so are the people in the media, uh, the, Repub- the, the conservative commentators that Donald Trump praised in the Rose Garden on Friday. Rush Limbaugh, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, they all opposed the deal, said the president should not sign the deal. Sean Hannity called it a garbage compromise. They all support it now. Because Donald Trump called them all, and they all came out and said, basically, well, Congress didn't give him what he wanted, so now we have to we, we support this, just like, just like Lindsey Graham did. You never would he- thought you would ever hear me say this, okay? But the only person who made any sense at all in this entire debate, certainly on the conservative side, is Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter... Disagree with her as often as I do, and she's a friend, by the way, but disagree with her as often as I do. She is a conservative who has the courage of her convictions. I got to say that. And she tweeted out after Donald Trump signed the bill and issued his emergency declaration. She said that one the pro- the, that the problem is that we have a president who is so lazy and incompetent. And she said the only emergency is... This is Ann Coulter. The only emergency is that Donald Trump is an idiot. Ann Coulter. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, she stuck to her guns, right? These other guys, they just they just blow in the wind. They're there. They are there for no other purpose. And I'm talking about the members of Congress or these conservative commentators, everybody except Ann Coulter. They're there for no other purpose than to kiss Donald Trump's ass and to do whatever Donald Trump wants. And they will rue the day because they are they're standing by and letting Donald Trump just erode the powers of the Congress and the Constitution, and it's going to be up to the courts to stop it. Uh, by the way, and you know, you got to come back to this again. I keep saying, why are we even having this discussion? Because Mexico was supposed to pay for the oh, wall. Oh, right. Every time I hear somebody say, well, you know, he can't break a promise to his base. The promise to his base was build the wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. It was one, they were joined at the hip, those two things. It was not build the wall and then we'll see who's going to pay for it. Build the wall and we taxpayers have to pay for it. Never, never, never. It was always build the wall and then we'll say, who's going to pay for it? Everybody would shout, Mexico. That was the whole promise. So he's already broken his promise uh, to his his base um, and that's where that's where it hangs today. With uh, certainly the the there's going to be a resolution. We'll talk more about this later in the show. Congress is going to pass a resolution in the House uh, condemning this act. Um, that that if voted on in the Senate, I believe there will be enough Republicans to join the Democrats that could even pass the Senate. The White House yesterday said if it passes Congress a resolution. Uh, overturning this or condemning it, the president would veto that resolution. Um, So we may not get any action in Congress uh, to override it, but there will be definitely lawsuits filed by several states and by the Democrats in Congress, uh, and that will make its way quickly up to the Supreme Court. The number one issue, and then, yes, indeed, Andrew McCabe, former uh, acting FBI director, 
on 60 Minutes last night. He has a new book coming out, but he told some stunning things about conversations in the leadership of the Justice Department upon the firing of FBI Director James Comey. Here is um, McCabe last night with Scott Pelley talking about they, how they were so concerned about the mental capacity of this president that they considered whether or not they could get the votes um, among members, enough members of the cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment. The discussion of the 25th Amendment was, was simply Rod raised the issue and discussed it with me in the context of thinking about how many other cabinet officials might support such an effort. In other words, they were so serious enough about it, they were counting votes. They're counting votes. By the way, there's a real problem with that count, is they have to have Mike Pence. <laughs> you read the language of the 25th Amendment. Yeah, there's no way Mike Pence would, uh, would go along with this. But at any rate, that shows the level of their concern. Rod, he's, Rod of course, is Rod Rosenstein, who was then the uh, Deputy Attorney General, uh, and he said, here's, here's, here, this is what Rod was concerned about. The deputy attorney general was definitely very concerned about the president, about his capacity, and about his intent at that point in time. Yes, his intent, his capacity uh, at that time. And how far would Rod Rosenstein go? He, he said, if this is what it would take to make the case, he would wear a wire in the Oval Office. The Deputy Attorney General offered to wear a wire into the White House. He said, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I could easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Now, he was not joking. He was absolutely serious. And in fact, he brought it up in the next meeting we had. Yeah, so he brought it up more than once. Yeah, the thing that was so interesting about the McCabe interview is... You know, a, a lot of people who are disgusted by what Donald Trump is doing uh, can often say, well, you know, the system is somewhat working, right? There is a system in place for when a president overreaches their power, and the, and the system is slow moving, but it is working, right? Like, whether yeah. or not it's a guy right. like Rod Rosenstein looking to see if they could, uh, you know, use the 25th Amendment. You got the Robert Mueller investigation. Now you've got some actual oversight in the House. But what's so telling is Donald Trump is constantly looking at ways to game the system and to defeat the system that is in place to keep him in check. Right. So, like, remember, it wasn't that long ago. There were all those rumors that uh, Rosenstein was going to be gone. Yeah. And right. he somehow held on. I can't imagine that he's going to hang on for much longer after this interview. He's gone, isn't he? No. Oh, you know what? He is gone. You're yeah, absolutely yeah, right. He's I just, gone. I completely, right. yeah, yeah. so many of them have left. I right. completely forgot. But yeah, no, right. he is gone. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So, I mean, look, that, 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 right. that, that gets to what I was saying, though. I mean, he's finding ways around these people that are there to keep him in check. But what he's doing, yeah, he's it's the same with his cabinet. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. the White House staff. Yeah. If you look back. I completely forgot he left. Oh, man. What a wild uh, So I mentioned one other thing. Uh, Pope Francis, uh, over the weekend, uh, he told Cardinal McCarrick of Washington that you are um, not just out of a job. Uh, he's been out of the job as Cardinal of Washington. Um, but so is his successor out of that job now. 
Uh, but uh, telling Cardinal McCarrick um, that uh, you are no longer a priest of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, taking away all of his priestly powers, his priestly garb, his priestly retirement fund, uh, or whatever. Uh, he is laicized or defrocked, as they call it. Um, by the way, um, I mean, because McCarrick was investigated and found guilty himself, even though the statute of limitations in terms of criminal conduct had run out, um, guilty of himself uh, soliciting sex from one minor, but then uh, men, several, if not many, uh, seminarians and priests uh, uh, as part of his, uh, as, as part of, uh, over his lifetime uh, as a priest. Uh, McCarrick even going so far as to get the solicit sex from men during confession. Men were there t- telling their sins to him in the, in the sacrament of confession, and he would use that to say, hey, you know, basically, why not jump into bed with me? Um, a new book coming out this week, by the way, the front page of the New York Times this morning. Uh, well, they did a survey uh, among, in, in light of this, among uh, priests in the United States. And their, their, their conclusion is what they found, which just shows the problem that the Catholic Church has with homosexuality. Fewer than 10 priests in the United States have dared to come out publicly and admit that they are gay. And we're not, by the way, we're not, this is not pedophiles or sexual abusers, just the fact that they happen to be gay. Fewer than 10 priests in the entire country. And yet, gay men likely make up, this is their the finding of their survey, likely make up 30 to 40% of the American Catholic clergy. Some priests say the number is closer to 75%. One priest in Wisconsin told the Times that he assumed that every priest is gay, unless he knows for a fact that he's not. And a priest in Florida put it this way, a third are gay, a third are straight, and a third don't know what the hell they are. Uh, and this is the Catholic Church that so still officially, officially, right, preaches, uh, and their official policy is that homosexuality, any homosexuality act, is uh, sinful and um, immoral and abhorrent and unnatural and refuses to recognize homosexuality, period, um, with maybe 30 to 40 percent. Of American American priests uh, actually being gay, uh, so this Cardinal McCarrick thing is a real uh, shocker, uh, and um, shows that not even the bishops finally, finally, uh, the church has realized the extent of this of this problem, uh, and and finally, no longer are bishops and cardinals and leadership of the Catholic Church exempt uh, from some. Uh, punitive action as taken by the Pope over the weekend. Uh, finally, I guess we got to talk about Mike Pence. Poor Mike Pence. We've got to feel sorry for Mike Pence. You know? Nope. This is big, nope. I don't feel sorry for him. Big meeting over in uh, in Munich. Nancy Pelosi was there. Joe Biden was there. A lot of members of Congress were there. 
leaders of, Fran of all the European countries were there, France and Germany, all of our allies were there. And Mike Pence had the job of representing the United States of America. And he expected to be received, you know, with open arms. Yeah, this is going to be like the State of the Union when he would get up there and everybody would applaud every line of his. Uh, yeah, when he was talking about representing Donald Trump, not such a great reception. So here is the vice president bringing the greetings of the president of the United States. Listen to the deafening applause. Champion of freedom and of strong national defense, who has worked with these members of Congress to strengthen America's military might and to strengthen the leadership of the free world, I bring greetings from the 45th President of the United States of America, President Donald Trump. Uh, 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 uh. Last August. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. How... <laughs> Oh, that's so awkward. Oh, how awkward, yeah. And he's looking at the crowd, and he's waiting for the applause. Not one person applauded. Not one. And the look on his face is just like, oh, God. Please yeah. clap. Yeah. <laughs> he should have used the Jeb Bush line. So Please bad. Please clap. Yeah. So bad. In fact, um, there were members of people from France and Germany who, who uh, reported uh, over the weekend that said, the front page again of the New York Times this morning, that a majority, after two years of Mr. Trump, a majority of French and Germans now trust, trust Russia and China more than the United States. That's the effect of two years of Donald Trump's roughshod foreign policy. Oh, man. Lots, lots, lots going on. And Donald Trump, surrounded by, on almost every side, lawsuits. Uh, what's the latest on all of those? The executive director of American Oversight, Austin Evers, joins us next to bring us up to date. Give us a quick break, and we'll be right back on Trump World uh, in Legal Trouble. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And what do you say on a Monday, Monday, February 18? Uh, thanks for joining us, folks. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, indeed, the great members of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean, building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. If Congress ever gets its act together and does what they should have done two years ago or even be before that uh, and passes a strong infrastructure bill, uh, check out the Ironworkers and their website. Their great work at uh, ironworkers.org, ironworkers.org. Uh, as I mentioned, Donald Trump um, under legal pressure on almost every front. Uh, keeps people like Austin Evers busy just keeping up with it. He's the executive director of American Oversight, joining us in studio. Austin, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, as a little P.S. to what we just mentioned before the break about Mike Pence getting the um, just silent treatment when he went to uh, to, to, to Munich, uh, you you uh, indicated a, a little follow-up to that I was not aware of. I, I saw on Twitter, so grain of salt, but that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders put out a statement 
stating that that uh, deafening silence was actually a respectful moment of silence uh, you know, oh. because he invoked the name of the president. Oh, oh, of course. Yes. I see. Yes. yes, right. It's sort of like we bow our heads when you say Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so Donald Trump gets the course. He gets the silent treatment. <laughs> We're in awe. Uh, are we expected to believe that, Peter? I mean, do you think? Oh, yes, sure. Right. Yeah, I saw the statement out there. I was just trying to find the exact wording of it, but she did. She, th- that was the the defense of it. Yeah. Do you have it there? No, no I don't okay. have it. No. Yeah, right. All right. Anyhow, well, good for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's doing her job. She was probably told to go out there and say that. So, um, if you look at Donald Trump, right, uh, and all the aspects of his life. Financial, personal, campaign, presidency, all this kind of stuff. What aspect of his life is under legal assault right now? It's it's everything. So uh, Bob Mueller is investigating his campaign. Uh, Congress is investigating everything, including his campaign and his inaugural committee and his family. Uh, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York uh, has subpoenaed his camp, uh, his uh, inaugural committee. Uh, the U.S. Attorney for Brooklyn, the Eastern District of New York, has also been looking into whether they were laundering money through that inaugural committee. The New York Attorney General is investigating, as is the the New Jersey uh, Attorney General. Um, it's actually pretty striking how in 2019, all these different investigations are really coming to a head. You're seeing subpoenas actually going out. And I think that if I could step back and look at the broader arc of Donald Trump's career, what you see is a man who has uh, failed up, but also been able to outrun liability. In the past, literally, he would declare bankruptcy to avoid having to mm-hmm. pay people mm-hmm. and get out of things. I remember um, there was something like 400 lawsuits pending when he was a candidate for I, various aspects of his business. It wouldn't surprise me, uh, given the uh, trail of grievances that he left behind him. And what I think you see now is a man who's at the pinnacle. He has nowhere else to run, and he can't declare bankruptcy in the middle of his presidency. So uh, you've got, uh, in 2019, all of these investigations that have been pending for a while, they've been diligent, they've been quiet, they're starting to make real headway. You've got people flipping on the president. So uh, is there an area where I think he should uh, feel like he should sleep well at night? No, no. I think he's under severe scrutiny, as is everybody in his cabinet. Yeah. Uh, another lawsuit filed last week by Cliff Sims, who just wrote this book called The Team of Vipers, and the White House tried to silence him. I think they've pretty effectively done it for for now um, because they said he violated his uh, non-defense, non-disclosure agreement, and he has filed a lawsuit against him for shutting, taking away his First Amendment rights. So it was yet another lawsuit but that's, added to the pile. It's another lawsuit, but it's also one of the more insidious issues because – what he's essentially arguing is that uh, the president is trying to use this NDA, a common uh, tool from the private sector, to right. prevent people from speaking out about their public service. Who did he work for? You, me. He didn't work for Donald Trump. He took an oath to the Constitution. So it is fundamentally against our Constitution that you could have a non-disclosure agreement for your time in the White House, except if it's classified. Right. Okay. And he was not, Sims was not dealing with, Doesn't I read the book. Way. It was not dealing, he's not dealing with classified information no. uh, at all. Uh, so where do we start? Let's start with the inaugural committee. I mean, what's the beef? So this brings together all sorts of interesting threads. I mean, it has roots in the raid on Michael Cohen's office. 
uh, where uh, investigators apparently found a taped conversation with a woman who was um, very involved in the inaugural committee. Uh, for some reason, Michael Cohen taped her talking to him about her concerns about how the inaugural committee was spending its money. Uh, there's a person being sentenced, I believe this week, for admitting to funneling $50,000 from Ukrainians into the inaugural committee. Uh, it's pretty clear, law's black and white, uh, you cannot accept foreign donations to a political campaign, PAC, or inaugural committee. Um, and uh, so these the various investigations going on, it's law enforcement um, all around the country, uh, are looking into why this committee was able to raise twice as much money as the Obama one in 09 mm-hmm. and spend it all on half as many events. <laughs> if this were a, uh, a regular banking transaction, it would look like laundering. Um, and so uh, there's real concerns that from the very outset, literally the moment that he was taking the oath of office, this president was open for business. And he, he does not seem, and the people around him, and this is really important, the people around him don't seem to see a difference between what he used to criticize as the swamp and mm-hmm. straight up bribes. Yeah. Um, how about the Trump Foundation? Is that effectively They've agreed over? to shut down. Yeah. They've agreed to shut down. And I, I, under pressure from a credit to Credit to the New York Attorney General yeah. uh, for um, investigating it and getting it to admit, essentially, that it was a sham uh, nonprofit. I mean, there are rules uh, that attach when you when you found a nonprofit that, you know, you don't have to pay taxes and all and all sorts of things. And the Trump family that seems to have run it like a slush fund. Remember the the it, the detail that's just so hard to believe, but no one seems to have disputed it. That in the 80s, he took seven dollars out of the foundation to pay for his son's <laughs> uh, Boy Scout uh, fee. You know, like that's not what that's no. for. But it speaks to the character of, of the president. Um, the, the, the word that's been echoing in my ears over the last couple of weeks as we as see all these things coming together is no one around him thinks about compliance. Mm-hmm. No one thinks, uh, what does the law say? They seem to get caught all the time. And I believe that it's because no one wakes up in the morning worrying over whether they're going to break the law. Yeah. I, no, I forgot. And and it was, of course, he used foundation money to buy this big portrait of himself. Well, that was a good investment. A good investment. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and to build a flagpole, I think. So, anyhow, there were all kinds. That was of... to uh, to pay the fines for having a excessively tall flagpole at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, that was, yeah, yes. right. Good use of foundation money, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, how about this? Um, I walked by it the other night coming back from the movie uh, at East Street. Um, this, uh, all the questions about the Trump Hotel, uh, there are two questions there. One is that uh, he, as president of the United States, is not supposed to have a, a lease with the United States government. Um, and then the other is, the foreign money or money period that's going into his pocket from that hotel. There are so many pieces here. I'll just try to tick through them. Uh, It was a couple of weeks ago, the inspector general for the GSA, which owns the hotel and leases it to the president. um, uh, The IG came out and really criticized uh, agency leadership for um, playing ostrich with the emoluments clause of the constitution, which is what prohibits uh, foreign payments to the president or other senior officials. Uh, According to the IG, when the GSA was considering whether this lease uh, was now going to be a problem now that uh, Trump was president, they completely ignored the emoluments clause. Everyone was talking about it. I know. I remember I, at the time everybody said on day one of the Trump presidency, unless they made a change, 
he would be in violation of the emoluments clause. And they ignored it. They they thought it was not their uh, business, which is absurd. They literally take an, an oath to uphold the Constitution. That's part of it. So that's the uh, – it starts with, um, I think, uh, federal bureaucrats um, lacking courage mm-hmm. to stand up against this president, um, and hopefully that will change. But then uh, ever since he came into office, it has been uh, ground zero for Donald Trump's swamp. Uh, last week when Matthew Whitaker finished his, I guess we can call it testimony, mm. uh, in front of the mm-hmm. Judiciary Committee, he was seen where? Celebrating at the end. The Trump Hotel. Of course. It is the place to be seen. It's the place to go buy yourself a $26 margarita. It's the place to rent <laughs> rooms if you are the far-right uh, uh, governor of Maine. Uh, who just uh, they just revealed that they bought 40 rooms at the um, at the well, Trump International Hotel. I just heard about that. Yeah, Paula Page, 40 yes. rooms. Why? Um, I mean, this was for the inauguration or what? No, or you know, I don't I don't know the yeah. exact details, but it's yeah. very clear that this president is open for business. If you were coming to Washington D.C. and whether you're a foreign prince or a lobbyist or the governor of Maine, um, where would you stay if you were going to see someone in this administration? You might just want to casually say. Hey, I stayed at the hotel last night. It was great. This is a very vain president, and that is why uh, this hotel is such an open wound on our democracy because it is a—it's the open end of a funnel for money and influence. And is there any still any um, um, current legal action? There absolutely challenging is. the hotel. There are multiple cases. So uh, on the emoluments issue. The attorneys general for Washington, D.C. and Maryland are pressing ahead with their um, their claim that uh, he should have to divest because his um, he violates the emoluments clause. Uh, my organization, American Oversight, is investigating uh, whether uh, the president interfered with longstanding plans to move the FBI oh, headquarters, oh, right. That's which another. is the neighbor yes. of the hotel. So this headquarters building is down the street. They were going to move it and replace it with a private development. The president intervened. We don't know why yet, but it certainly looks like he took interest in a major uh, development that could compete with his hotel. And then we launched another investigation. It could have been another hotel and another fancy restaurant across the street that was on one Pennsylvania of the, Avenue, and he didn't want the competition. That was, that was one of the pre-approved um, uh, proposals for what would go there. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen the J. Edgar Hoover building. It's not a looker. So replacing uh, it with something um, uh, like a hotel and a private development would be, you know, an attractive place to go. And then the last one, this one was just a, this one was just so silly. Everyone was shut down for 35 days in this town. The Smithsonian, I couldn't take my kid to the zoo. But the post office tower, <laughs> that's, a, that's a part of the Trump International Hotel. It is owned by the United States government, is managed by the Park Service, was open for business. The, you mean that tower on top of the hotel? Yes. Is that not part of the hotel? It is. It, the whole development is one thing, but that yeah. is a. It is a. Um, it is a national park. It is managed by the Park Service. So that can you go up there? You go, and there's a man in a park uniform, uniform and he'll take you to the top, and you, it's an amazing view. Um, but it was one I of the no only places. Idea. Yep, it was one of the only so places that was could, kept open. And where is the where is the access to that? tower right where you think it is right next to the hotel next so, to the hotel mm-hmm. you don't have to go inside the hotel or you, you don't have to go inside the hotel but you do walk in front of the entrance yeah awning uh, 
Wow. Yeah, so there's a I'm lot. Gonna, I'm going to walk down there and look for it. It's a beautiful no idea. View. It's yeah. also the one place in D.C. that you don't have to look at the hotel when you're on top. <laughs> because you're on top. <laughs> um, and of but course, also, uh, you know, it's like the Washington Monument. And the Washington Monument keeps getting closed. Uh, plus, it's a long, long line to get up that Washington Monument. That tower is beautiful. I never really noticed it um, as often as I do now until it was yeah. the International. And, of course, all of these issues, Congress is looking to. So I want to come back to what you were saying is during the shutdown, the 35 days, everything else in town was shut down except the Trump the That's right. postal, post office tower on the Trump Hotel. That's right. And so there, the, uh, the Park Service has said that there's some bureaucratic contractual reason why, um, but uh, American Oversight is using um, – our Freedom of Information Act uh, tools to get at it. Because once you look at the GSA playing ostrich on the emoluments clause, you got to think someone someone raised a question. Should we really keep this tower open during this shutdown? Um, and maybe there was a sent. Maybe they thought, well, we have to do it. Otherwise, we will enrage the president. This is just the, the system that he has set up where we are always concerned about severe conflicts of interest and corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's AmericanOversight.org if you want to know more about this. and We just can basically touch the, the skim across the surface. of There's so many of these legal challenges, um, but particularly on this um, emoluments clause uh, and the uh, Trump Tower or the post office tower in the Trump Hotel. Check it out at AmericanOversight.org. So how does all this relate, if it does at all, to the Mueller investigation? I think only Bob Mueller really knows. Um, I don't. That's the best answer I've heard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the Southern District in New York prosecution of Michael Cohen was spun out from the Mueller investigation. So um, it has its roots there. But it's unclear to me just how um, how far he's branched out. He's um, the the. Guilty pleas that he's gotten um, and the indictments that he's put out have focused primarily on Russian interference with our election and the Trump campaign's um, involvement in it, and in particular lies about uh, their testimony since. So I don't know how much he's looking into the hotel or to the inaugural committee, but the inaugural committee, the inauguration was attended by uh, several Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs who, uh, you know, for all we know, may have had ties to the interference campaign. Uh, but, one of them is now on the sanctions list. Well, my impression has been that Mueller is concerned more with interference in the election and possible obstruction of justice, where the U.S. attorney in New York is looking, and maybe the attorney general of New York, looking more at the financial ties, which go back decades, between the Trump organization, the Trump empire or whatever, and Russia and Saudi Arabia, particularly. But those ties also, if if there was any attempt to influence the election and Donald Trump's not doing anything about it, I mean, that, that li- that's linked to the, maybe, to the business ties. So it all does follow the money, right? Follow the money, but think about it this way. There are so many investigations into this president that a single special counsel is not enough. We have to involve a United States attorney office. Oh, wait, no, two United States attorney's offices. Uh, two attorneys general. Oh, wait, no, four attorneys general if you add in uh, D.C. and Maryland. Uh, these are not frivolous. These are uh, uh, 
not leaking. They're they're based in evidence, and they're, um, you know, I just don't, I, I don't know that even I could have predicted, uh, how much potential criminality surrounds this president. And yes, it goes back in time, but it, it continues to this day. And why are these suits taking so long? I guess is that just that's the that's the way this the is, law works, huh? That's the way the law works, and we should be grateful that they are taking their time, that they are building their cases. And if they choose not to pursue something, we should respect that too. Um, but Donald Trump's Twitter feed moves at the speed of light compared to Bob Mueller, and that's what I was uh, referring to. He is constantly outrun liability mm-hmm. and you can tell that right now he doesn't have anywhere to go so he's just shrieking into the internet every morning about rigged witch hunts and whatnot um, but behind him are multiple seasoned law enforcement officers Elijah Cummings Jerry Nadler in Congress um, just doggedly catching up to him right well now I, I I wanted to ask you about that and we don't have a lot of time left but the the it's a new day now with Absolutely. Democrats in control of Congress. So these lawsuits that we've been talking about have all been going on for some time. Now there's a new dimension, right, which is oversight. It's amazing. It is, um, in some ways, it's been a little slower than than I had anticipated in that, um, you know, we didn't see subpoenas fly in the first couple of weeks of January. But again, I think that well, speaks I think Democrats to Democrats were trying to be the sobriety little, yeah. of, of, these, of these chairmen. But Mm -hmm. there's two examples that I would flag that I think are just really, really important. One is uh, Matthew Whitaker, then the acting attorney general, testified uh, the other day. And um, Jerry Nadler, the chairman, did not have a great time with him, uh, did not like his answers. So he's followed up. He wrote him a letter on Friday uh, identifying the issues where he's seeking clarification of Whitaker's testimony. That is something that would not have happened last year. Oh, uh, absolutely. Whitaker is still a senior Devin counselor. Nunez? Never. Never. <laughs> or uh, who the, was it, head of judiciary? Right? Goodlatte. Goodlatte, yeah, Goodlatt. right? So uh, I, Whitaker is still a senior counselor at the um, uh, DOJ, so he's still subject to That's right. People think that the, because we have a new attorney general that Whitaker is gone. He's not. He's, he's not. still a senior still there. member of the leadership of the Department of Justice. And then I'll just flag one more. Yeah. Uh, Elijah Cummings sent a letter to the White House counsel on Friday outlining how, in uh, according to documents that they have now gotten, so new day, they're getting documents in Congress. Donald Trump's lawyers, one who worked for the White House and one who worked for him personally, appear to have lied to Congress about the Michael Cohen retainer agreement, slush fund, the Stormy Daniels payment. Mm. Is that bad? Lying um, to Congress? Is that a bad thing? You know, I wasn't sure until Bob Mueller uh, <laughs> indicted someone for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it's incredible. There's, this letter is about eight pages long, and it weaves together the Michael Cohen story in a way that you can see these threads coming together. The investigators have jurisdiction. They're pursuing uh, things. They're getting documents, and they're catching people in lies. It's a big deal to be a lawyer and get caught lying to anybody, let alone to Congress. Um, and at one point, Sherry Dillon, who was the attorney who had all the papers at the Trump, uh, you know, with oh, the investments. Oh, 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 yeah, on, you remember that, right. Said, oh, I... Uh, well, I don't, I don't know anything about that. Let the criticism fall on the president. So hmm. this is a new day. Oversight is here. It means that Donald Trump and his administration can't flippantly reject things uh, and move on. Congress doesn't. And so with the emergency declaration, with family separation, with the hotel, they are coming and they are getting documents. Right. 
uh, and that and there's nothing. I mean, that's their job in Congress, right? Um, Donald Trump may complain about it, but um, it's their legal constitutional responsibility. That's exactly what Cummings says at the end of his letter. He has a constitutional obligation to pursue these questions. Yeah. And he takes that seriously. And if I were the president, I would be nervous. Yeah. Uh, again, if you want to keep on top of all of this, it's tough. It's tough. Um, but American Oversight, that's what they're all about. Check out their website at AmericanOversight.org. Hey, thanks for your good work, Austin. Thank you very much. And bringing us up to date on all of it. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Ray Locker, our, our good friend, uh, author of Nixon's Gamble. Here's a friend of Bill for the next hour. We'll get into all the news of the day and uh, keep things going. So don't go away. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, a phony crisis, a phony emergency, and a phony wall. Put it all together. <laughs> That's what we saw on Friday, and now the reaction to it. Hello, everybody. It's The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Monday, Monday, February 18th. Officially, it's a federal holiday. Well, obviously, not for us and not for you. <laughs> Uh, but happy President's Day anyway. I, I preferred the old days when uh, we celebrated Lincoln's birthday and then Washington's birthday and uh, and not lumping them all together. But at any rate, just, I guess I'm just old-fashioned. Good to see you today. Thanks for joining us the, as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, and starting off uh, with all the big news of the day, Ray Locker. Uh, joins us from, uh, well, he's now the author of, his first book was Nixon's Gamble. Correct. Got a new book coming out, May 1, but boy, talk about timing right on point. Hague's Coup, How Richard Nixon's Closest Aide Forced Him From Office. Congratulations, Ray. It's good to see you. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for coming in here uh, as a friend of Bill, and we will uh, talk about this more, but your timing... May be perfect, right? It may be the first time ever that's been true. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine there are any parallels between the Nixon White House and the Trump White House. Oh, no, not at all. Right, yeah. Uh, the question is, who's going to be the Alexander Haig? That could be the guessing game. Well, I mean, for it a while. It won't be Lindsey Graham. <clears throat> no, will not. <laughs> and it won't be John Kelly, which was a perfect parallel. Four-star general, four-star yep. general. Yeah. As chief of staff, this only the second time that's happened. Well, you know what? Maybe uh, Trump saw that coming. That's why he got rid of him. <laughs> lots and lots and lots to talk about, which we will get into with Ray and with all of you. Uh, remember uh, how to join us. We want to hear from you. Your comments always welcome on Twitter 
at BP Show, at BP Show on Twitter. But first, this catch is up the with full Peter court here. press. You know, I always look out for stories, Bill, uh, uh, that, that will pique your interest. That's your job. Here's one uh, that I think you'll really love because I know how much you love drones. Yeah. Well, here's Uh-oh. the thing. Uh-oh. New York police, they are actually seeking authority to ha- to be able to shoot drones down out of the sky. <laughs> they want to take them down. Now, when I say shoot out of the sky, I don't mean necessarily pull out their pistols and start shooting, but they want to have some sort Zap of... them somehow? Yeah, there, there are ways that you can bring drones down, either with other drones that have like a net... And other uh, places have used this. You go up and you capture the other drone and bring it down. But they want to bring them down out of the sky because there are so many unlicensed drones flying around New York City that it's becoming a real problem. And so the cops want to take them down. Yeah, I got to tell you, if there's a drone like near an airport, I don't have a problem with taking it down. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Huh? I mean, come on, these idiots. Uh, So... Yeah, I still have a problem with that. All right, <laughs> good, good. I just, just I, I, to I'm, make a, sure. I'm okay with that, though. Are you flying anytime soon, Bill? Mm, in a month. All right, well, just be careful because uh, there was a, a flight from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Fort Lauderdale that had a full flight, but it got even fuller during the flight when a woman gave oh, birth whoa. to a baby oh. on the flight. Flight 1954 from San Juan to Fort Lauderdale, there were some medical personnel on the flight. There's some medical staff. They they work in hospitals. So they were actually able to help the woman deliver the baby aboard the plane. Mm. They didn't divert. They they just kept on with their course. And uh, the name of the plane, by the way, Born to be Blue is the name of the airplane. Seriously? Seriously. I wonder what they named the baby. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's a very that's a very good question. Uh, uh, JetBlue put out a statement saying, uh, "Yes, in fact, they confirmed a quote Blue? quote onboard delivery of our youngest customer to date." I've never heard of that happening before. Uh, I have any, normally they don't let you fly when you're past yeah. a certain right. time. That's right. right. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. They were so concerned about Donald Trump's mental capacity, they considered trying to get enough votes to invoke the 25th Amendment. Blockbuster uh, reveal last night by uh, Andrew McCabe, a former acting uh, director of the FBI, to Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes. What do you say, everybody? Good to see you today. Happy President's Day. It is Monday, February 18. This is the Bill Press Show, and we're coming to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you on television on Free Speech TV nationwide, out in the greater Chicago area, the great city of Chicago, now hustling to try to get Amazon to relocate to Chicago. <laughs> We're joining you on WCPT. I saw this morning Tim Ryan was on Morning Joe. He's trying to get Amazon to relocate in Ohio. Uh, now that they're up for grabs, everybody's back in the back in the hunt. And we're also joining you, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We welcome 
our good friend, uh, presidential historian, author Ray Locker here uh, to the studio as a friend of Bill for this entire hour. Hello, Ray. It's good to see you. Great to be here. Uh, and uh, what about that 60 Minutes thing? I was at that interview last night. It was pretty startling, right? That's, yeah. I Andrew mean, McCabe, who's a respect, well-respected guy right. in the law enforcement circles uh, with Scott Pelley. Um, let's let's listen to him first a little bit here, Peter. He where he is referring to Rod Rosenstein, who was then the acting no deputy attorney general, mm-hmm. right? That this is how serious they thought it was in after uh, Donald Trump fired James Comey. Discussion of the Twenty Fifth Amendment was was simply Rod raised the issue and discussed it with me in the context of thinking about how many other cabinet officials might support such an effort. So, Ray, they were counting votes. Yeah. That's pretty serious. It is serious. I mean, I don't know how many times that's come up. I'm sure in the Nixon administration some people thought about it, but I've never heard of anybody actually openly expressing that thought. I guess um, I'm just thinking back. It did exist then, the 25th it did. Amendment, it's, right? It came yeah. up in the 1960s after uh, the Kennedy assassination and Lyndon Johnson okay. became president. Right. Yeah. So in your book, new book coming out, mm-hmm. Hague's Coup. Correct. Um, was there any, any thought to the 25th Amendment that you know of? No, I never saw anything about that come up. I mean, right. Nixon had his own problems within, and Alexander Haig did not help him defend himself, and that's part of the big part about the book. Yeah. So if the 25th Amendment were to be invoked, right, um, I did a lot of research on this the first time I was talking mm-hmm. about it, but I guess it would have to be the vice president and a majority of the cabinet, mm-hmm. right, who would tell Congress, is that help me I, out? I think first? so. I think that's, yeah. or the president himself can say. Right, that's right. You know, basically my familiarity with the 25th Amendment was that season of the West Wing when John Goodman became president. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we're all going to have to learn maybe more about it. But certainly, I, I, must, I do recall a, a um, the uh, vice president and a majority of the cabinet. Those the chances of, oh, forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, remember that first cabinet meeting when everybody <laughs> fell all over themselves to ingratiate themselves to the president. Right. You know, that's not a group that's going to go declare the Twenty Fifth Amendment. I don't think. But the idea that the, the the fact that the Justice Department senior leadership was that concerned, right? Right. It's pretty frightening. Well, and firing the FBI director seems like obstruction of justice. Right. And uh, McCabe said at the time uh, that I think it was McCabe, or maybe maybe it was Scott Pelley himself who made the point that we were still this is relatively early in the Trump administration, and now we sort of accepted this as the new normal. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, uh, I think so many people see this every day, all the stuff that happens, and they forget about what life used to be like. You know, that this is not normal behavior for any other president. Right. Uh, McCabe also pointed out there were the two kind of blockbuster reveals. One is the 25th Amendment. The other is that Rosenstein was so concerned uh, about the presidency that he um, suggested that he might even, well, let, we'll let McCabe tell us. The deputy attorney general offered to wear a wire into the White House. He said, I never get searched when I go into the White House. I could easily wear a recording device. They wouldn't know it was there. Now, he was not joking. He was absolutely serious. And in fact, he brought it up in the next meeting we had. 
So we don't, to, to the extent that we know, he did not do this. But again, the fact that he would consider it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's easier to do that now more than ever. I mean, we saw Omarosa had you know tapes from the Situation right. Room. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. obviously, this White House does not pay a lot of attention to that. Rosenstein probably could have gone in there and done that. Um, to even mention that in a meeting and whether Rosenstein says it happened or not is kind of irrelevant is really beyond the pale. Right. Mentioned it once and then brought it up in mm-hmm. another meeting. Yeah. Do you think I ought to do this? Right. That 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 that, that they discussed right. it. Yeah. Um, and these are again these are serious law enforcement people. So any idea that so that was then. Uh, I just have to play this 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 quote from the president in the Rose Garden. His sort of rambling explaining about now that I signed the declaration, here's what we can mm-hmm. expect. Sort of shows, I guess, how accustomed we become to Donald Trump's style in that this, as crazy as it is, did not start people talking about the 25th Amendment again. But here he is Friday. The order is signed, and uh, I'll sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office, and we will have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, even though it shouldn't be there, and we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court. Just like the ban, they sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. Uh, Needless to say, he's not talking off the teleprompter. No. (laughs) It's just a crazy rambling rant. You can hear the press corps laughing in the background. I mean, it's just... Uh, every day, it's something that tops what happened the day before. And you get numb to it. I mean, things that were an outrage in June of 2017, I forget what they were, mm. you know, probably pretty crazy. No one remembers anymore because right. it's just the accumulation of this stuff. And we've said it over and over again. Things that would be a scandal for three months in any previous presidency, regardless of who the president was, are nothing now. They're like an issue for 10 minutes. But So uh, I'm interested in others have raised, but you particularly have written now two books about the uh, about the Nixon administration. Uh, there, there are certain parallels, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, they both thought things and did things that were controversial. They did things, certainly in Nixon's case, that were deemed obstruction of justice. And I think if you use what happened with Nixon and you compare it to what's happening now, I think they do relate to each other. I think some of the things that Trump has done do seem like obstruction of justice. Firing the FBI director who's investigating you and then saying you fired him because of the investigation. get the monkey off my back. Is, I mean, that's an open declaration of that. I mean, you think about what forced Nixon to quit the tape when he said, let's get the, you know, CIA director to tell the FBI to back off on the Watergate investigation because it might get into things we don't want them to get into. That was obstruction. It seems very similar to what the president did by firing James Comey. Okay, so who who brought Nixon down? You say it was Alexander Haig. I think Alexander Haig did things either overtly or because he was so bad at his job. And that he was we, chief of staff at the time, He was time, Nixon's right? chief of staff for the last 15 months of mm-hmm. Nixon's presidency. 
and he was doing things to preserve his own job and viability at the expense of Nixon. Um, Haig was involved in a couple of things that were scandals during the first Nixon term. One, FBI wiretaps of 17 government officials and journalists that had to do with leak investigations, and what was called a spy ring run by the military inside the White House that was stealing White House secrets and sending them back to the Pentagon because the Pentagon didn't know what Nixon was doing. Hmm. Troop withdrawals from Vietnam, they would find out late. You know, they didn't know, they didn't know about China. And Haig was involved as the Deputy National Security Advisor at the time in sending information back to the Pentagon that Nixon wanted to keep secret. He was actually a Pentagon spy in the Nixon White House. Correct. Right. Wow. And but, and but, that was something that came out. You know, that has been reported that this spy ring existed. Haig's ties to it, he tried to obscure. And then Haig becomes chief of staff. He becomes chief of staff. Nixon's and, in trouble and he... Undermines him. He it? undermines him repeatedly. You know, the Saturday Night Massacre in which Nixon wanted to fire Elliot Richardson, the attorney general, and his deputy William Ruckel's house. Haig knew that Richardson would quit if Nixon tried to fire Archibald Cox, a special prosecutor. Haig told Nixon he wouldn't quit. Mm. Then he tries to fire Cox and Richardson quits, and it's this huge thing. And Nixon's like, what happened? You told me it was. Haig lied to him precipitated this huge crisis that really spurred the impeachment move. But isn't one big difference that, from what I've read and seen, mm -hmm. uh, that Donald Trump is now on his third chief of staff, Correct. although this one is just still acting, I believe, right. that Donald Trump would not accept a chief of staff with the authority that Alexander Haig had? Oh, absolutely not. Right? I, I mean, mean or, I have... Or other presidents right. have. I have yeah. parts in... This upcoming book in which Nixon tells Haig, oh, why don't you just go to all these meetings that I used to go to? You know more about it than I do anyway. Ceding all sorts of power to uh, to Haig because he didn't want to deal with it. Leon Jaworski, the second Watergate prosecutor, called Haig the 37th and a half president because he was really doing the job. Wow. Spiro Agnew, Nixon's first vice president, said Haig was basically president during the last 15 months of the Nixon administration. Yeah. And again, from what I've read from, you know, Michael Wolff's book and Cliff Sims' book and Bob Woodward's mm -hmm. book, uh, and I, I didn't read Omarosa's book, but that, um, that John Kelly, in the early days, Trump welcomed a little discipline, right. a little attempt to keep things, and then, then he began to chafe under that and then turned against Kelly because yeah. he thought Kelly was... A, trying to, um, to be too good of a chief of staff, right. I guess. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, and then people but, complained about Kelly to the president, and he yeah, didn't yeah. like it. Yeah, particularly Jared and Ivanka. Right. Um, now, but, but the difference I see is with Nixon, it got to one point where the Republican leadership in Congress, I believe Barry Goldwater mm -hmm. was one of the ones right. who— went down to the White House and told Nixon, okay, you know, you, you got to go. We cannot support you any longer. Will it ever get to that point with Donald Trump? Look uh, at this. Look at right now. Let's let's bring it up to today with his emergency declaration, which I really think is, I, I'm not a constitutional scholar, mm -hmm. but an end run around Congress. Oh, it is. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me on the surface of it. And, and this is something that, that John Cornyn, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Grassley, 
All the Republicans in the, in, in the leadership in the Senate warned the president against, do not do this. Apparently, right. uh, uh, it's reportedly, even the White House counsel advised the president mm-hmm. not to do this. And now he's done it. Will this leadership of Congress like they did with Nixon ever go down to Donald Trump and say, this is it? Not on this issue. I mean, we saw that on Friday with Mitch McConnell's yeah. statement lining up behind the president. On First one to line up. Blaming the Democrats for this. I mean, you can blame the Democrats <laughs> for a lot of things a lot of times, but not for this. Yeah. Um, when you had a Republican majority in both houses and this issue never came up and was never passed, they had the chance to do it and they didn't do it. Um, I don't know what it would take for the Republican leadership in Congress to go to this president and say, you got to quit. The thing that's different with Nixon versus now, there was an impeachment uh, articles uh-huh. on the table. Yeah. Right. It had cleared the House Judiciary Committee. It was going to the full House. He was going to be impeached and then tried in the Senate. That was going to happen. And so he, Barry Goldwater, who was one of his Senate defenders, probably one of the 34 members he needed to keep from being impeached in the trial, said, look, it's not happening for you. And that was after the acknowledgement and disclosure of the tape in which Nixon was heard saying, let's use the CIA to block the FBI investigation of Watergate. Right. So it, it, that's that's very interesting. The threat of impeachment right. is is what triggered them to say, you know, we're not going to be able to hold this off. Right. And you've got to know it. If you want to be impeached, stay. If you don't want to be impeached, leave now. And here's another big difference between mm. Nixon and Trump. <clears throat> Trump's rich. Is he as rich as he says? Probably not. Nixon was not. He had been hit with a big tax bill having to do with uh, his real estate purchases, donation of presidential papers. Uh, he had money problems. And if he got impeached, he was going to lose all of his benefits from pension, et cetera. And he couldn't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. So they had financial leverage against him, which they nobody has on Trump. Trump quits. You know, He's going to be fine. He could move to another country if he thought he was going to be in trouble of prosecution. <laughs> and somebody would take him, you know. But he has hey, those advantages. Russia would be happy to have <laughs> yeah, him. seriously. They could finally um, build that tower maybe. And, <laughs> 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 and Putin could have his penthouse at the top of it. You know, they'd all be happy. I mean, right. it sounds crazy, but is it uh, crazier than anything else we've heard in the last week or last two years? No. 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 no, it could happen. Yeah. I don't think it will, but it could. But that then the question would be, you know, who would be the Barry Goldwater of today? I mean, we haven't we haven't really seen anybody consistently stand up to Trump. You know, we had Jeff Flake who would right. say some tough things and then vote for everything he wanted. Mm-hmm. Same with Bob Corker. Right. He'll never add a dime to the deficit and then he went right along with you know the, the tax cut yeah. bill, which added what seven billion or whatever to debt. So we haven't we haven't seen that that person with that with the you know the courage of his convictions yet. Well, we haven't seen it yet, but we all know. We talked to and so many people who cover Capitol Hill, who talk to Republican members all the time. We know that they're thinking that because they tell reporters that, yeah. who then come back and tell us, you know. So we know that that discussion is being had. Whether they're going to do anything about it publicly remains to be seen. Uh, we've talked about this before. Ray Locker with us. How can people follow you now on Twitter, right? Right. R Locker 12. R Locker 12, right. And by the way, you mentioned um, members. what we're hearing from members of Congress. Um, Julie Grace Brufke from The Hill will be joining us uh, 
Ray and me and all of you uh, just about 10 minutes from now. And uh, that's her beat, and she'll be able to bring mm -hmm. us up to date on that. Every, every time you've been in, I think we've talked about uh, the status of the Mueller investigation, uh, which remains this big mystery. I saw again an article somewhere yesterday saying it's expected to wrap up uh, this month, the month of February. People have been saying that since I remember Rudy Giuliani said it was Thanksgiving 2017. Yeah. It was all going to be over, right? Yeah. What do we know? What's going on? Is it winding down, winding out, or just winding up? We don't know. I mean, it's an open-ended investigation. And you know how these things go. You find one lead after another. You go places that you never thought they you would go. I mean, that happened with Ken Starr and Clinton. And whether, you know, you agreed with that at the time, it made sense that you follow this thread. Mueller's doing the same thing. I don't know what's happening. And the people who say he's wrapping up, most of them are on Trump's side. Yeah. It's in yeah. their interest to say that. Right. Um, nobody knows. And I find a lot of this reporting really frustrating because it's obvious that the people who work for Mueller aren't talking. It's people who have heard something from somebody else who might have talked to somebody close to that. It's not reliable. And since you don't know who these people are, um, other than guys like Giuliani and people in the Trump circle, you can't tell what's true or not. Yeah. And you really can't believe anything that Giuliani says. Uh, yeah, I'm the, not sure he believes it. <laughs> I think it's a good point. And and the latest, uh, of course, is that, that we've heard um, where Robert Mueller accused uh, Paul Manafort of lying to prosecutors mm -hmm. and violating his plea deal. And the judge last week agreed with Mueller. Right. And it looks like Manafort, unless he gets a pardon, is going to spend more time in prison than he otherwise would have. Right. Um People are speculating, is he covering up for something? What's he trying to hide? Maybe that's just the kind of guy uh, Paul Manafort is. I mean... Just lies? Yeah. He's uh, he's had some pretty shady associations throughout his career as a lobbyist and, uh, you know, representative of foreign governments, you know, dating back to the 80s. Um, you know, this Ukrainian flirtation that he's had in the last, you know, dozen years is nothing new. Right. Um, he's willing to work for some pretty unsavory people. Now, um, a little update on the 2020 front, um, where um, we, I just said earlier, we keep looking for this one Republican who's going to be willing to stand up and challenge Donald Trump. Well, it's not going to be any Republican in the United States Senate, um, but we found one over the weekend. Former Massachusetts Governor William Weld, <laughs> the Harold Stassen of the oh. Republican Party, or maybe Stassen was a Republican, I forget. He was he? a Republican. He was yeah. a Republican. All right, today's Harold Stassen. William Weld, he says he can't take it any longer. It is uh, part of my thinking to make sure that he doesn't repeat. We don't have six more years of the antics, frankly, uh, that, for want of a better word, that we've seen the last two years. I think that would be bad for the country, and I don't care who knows it. Yeah, well, if anybody's going to challenge Donald Trump, uh, a serious challenge to Donald Trump, it's not going to be Bill Weld. No, he was, he, he was the libertarian <laughs> vice presidential nominee in 2016. Right. Um <laughs> I mean, he's been all over the place. And he ran for president before then, I forget. Yeah. Uh, at least once, at least once. If he's not. had some kind of dodgy associations with for-profit colleges. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a very yeah. interesting guy, interesting governor of Massachusetts. Um, he was basically a like moderate, if not liberal, Republican governor of Massachusetts. And yeah. At the time, was considered to be, you know, he did a fairly good job, as I recall. But anyhow, he's crazy. Yeah. Crazy I mean, then he had that 
ill-fated run against John Kerry in the 1996 Senate race, then became yeah. Clinton's right. nominee to be ambassador to Mexico, <laughs> and that didn't happen because of Jesse Helms. Um, yeah. Interesting sure. character um, in a different era, might be a credible challenger, but this is not the time, and he's not the guy. Now, on the Democratic side, uh, we have seen several United States senators. We're going to see a couple more United States senators. Uh, uh, we've mm -hmm. heard now that uh, Bernie Sanders, no doubt about it, he's made his video. He's already right. taped his video announcing his candidacy. It just hasn't been released yet. Uh, but we haven't yet seen a governor. Uh, one former governor spoke up about that over the weekend um, right across the river, Terry McAuliffe. Uh, I've made hundreds and hundreds of calls across the country. Uh, talk to potential staff, and listen, we're close to make a decision. I want to see where the field is. I do think we need in this race a uh, progressive governor who was very jobs-oriented, very successful in economic development. Mm -hmm. They're not mutually exclusive. A governor is a CEO. We build roads. We fix roads. Uh, we do need governors in this race because, you know, we don't just get to talk all day. we got to right. deliver every single day. Uh, that was on Face the Nation mm -hmm. yesterday. Sounds like a candidate. Well, like everybody else, and why not? I mean, the thing is, the bigger the field gets, the better your chances are. If you can raise money, if you can do well in debates, um, <laughs> and do well in Iowa and New Hampshire early on, you don't need 30%. You need 15% to get in the game. And if uh, you think you can do that, you have a chance. So why not go for it? Yeah, I've been telling people for a while, don't count out Terry McAuliffe. You know, first of all, yeah. again, I think look at the history of both parties. Mm -hmm. They do fairly well running governors as candidates for president. Right. Bill Clinton, George Bush, whatever. You go down the list. Jimmy Carter, all of them. And then Terry was a good governor of Virginia, got a lot done, and he's a damn good candidate. Right. And nobody can raise money like Terry McAuliffe. Right. I think right. his issue is he's so familiar to people in the D.C. press corps they see him as a creature of the Clintons, kind of a glad-handing money guy. They don't really know much more about him. He did. He had a good record in Virginia. Right. Um, <laughs> Controversy-free. Um, did a good job. You know, passed on the governorship to another Democrat who's now got his own problems. But not it's not Terry McAuliffe's fault, so why shouldn't he run? Right. Uh, and by the way, you're right. I think that's Terry's Achilles heel, if you will, is that uh, – Everybody's if they think of him, they see him in a photo with Bill Clinton or with Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton, not standing on his own. Right. Uh, but, you know, every one of these candidates who's announced so far has a glitch. Right. Kamala Harris has her pro-death penalty prosecutorial mm -hmm. glitch. You know, Kirsten Gillibrand's got her NRA glitch. Right. Cory Booker, Goldman Sachs, if not his vegan glitch. <laughs> 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 I, I just saw a story this morning that... In Iowa, people in Iowa eat meat at least, everybody does, at least once a week. Yeah. Right? You know, beef and pork, that's yeah. the heart blood of mm -hmm. Iowa. Right. That's how they make their money. Yeah. And here's he's running as a vegan. <laughs> well, at least he doesn't say everybody has to be a vegan. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I mean, every one of these candidates has a little glitch, right? Yeah. You know, Joe Biden, has got the Iraq war, he's got that crime bill, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, that's going to be... Terry's glitch. And there's no perfect candidate. No, but and, and I mean, so yeah, jump in. The water's fine. There's never a perfect candidate. Everybody's got issues, and you're going to run against somebody who's got so many issues. <laughs> but 
political professionals are very nervous. They always want somebody who has no weaknesses because they're afraid that any one thing could go from being a one news cycle problem to a three-month problem that's debilitating and fatal to a candidate. Right. And uh, so they're always looking for stuff like that. Right. And that's natural because you never know what's going to catch on with, you know, opponents and, the you know, the people. Exactly. Ray Locker stays with us as a friend of Bill and all of you friends of Bill stay here as well. When we come back, Julie Grace Brufke from The Hill covers Capitol Hill, covers the Congress for The Hill, uh, joins us, brings up to date on what, if anything, Congress might be doing about this emergency declaration. Give us a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go away. This is The Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Monday, Monday, February 18, uh, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union. Got over 1.2 million active and retired members. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Welcome back, uh, Ray Locker here as a friend of Bill. Again, uh, check it out. Uh, is it, I guess it's up on Amazon already or other sites. Yeah, you can pre-order book. on Amazon Pre- and uh, the uh, University of Nebraska Press website as well. That's, uh, it's called Heg's Coup, How Richard Nixon's Closest Aide Forced Him to Resign. And we'll all read that, and then I hope that uh, Donald Trump's closest aide uh, <laughs> follows his lead. <laughs> uh, we are now joined by, to, to take a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill, particularly in the in the wake of the emergency declaration on Friday, uh, Julie Grace Brufke, right from the yeah. Hill. Hi, Julie Grace. Yeah. Nice Thanks to see you. Thanks for having you. me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So um, you got the week off, right? After last week, you need it. Yeah, it's it's a nice break after last week. I uh, <laughs> some some long nights <laughs> working last uh, week. What is what do you expect Congress to do in the wake of this emergency declaration, which even Republicans in Congress said, Mr. President? Don't do this. So we saw uh, Joaquin Castro, AOC, Ruben Gallego, they all introduced a resolution that would stop it. But I think uh, the courts are probably going to have better luck on trying to stop that since I don't see that resolution going anywhere in the Senate. Well, first, can a resolution, isn't a resolution meaningless? Doesn't Isn't it just an expression of, yeah, of yes, that, whatever sentiment? But it doesn't actually, could, let's say the resolution passed both houses of Congress, right? It doesn't stop the emergency declaration, does it? I, I don't believe so. I, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so it just says we don't like this, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Even even that weak resolution, would it pass the House? I think it'll pass the House I, with a few Republicans hopping on board. I uh, I don't see any Democrats not backing that. So. And would it even be brought up for a vote in the Senate? <laughs> I don't see that before happening. We, before we get to the point of would it pass the Senate, which I think the answer to that is probably Yeah, no. I don't see Mitch McConnell bringing that one up. Yeah, and I think people will be asking him, please don't bring it up because I don't want to vote on this. Do you think Cory Gardner wants to vote on this? I don't think so. Susan Collins, maybe, probably Michael not. You know, no, no yeah. they don't want to because it's a problem for them. Um. And I, you know, I got to agree with the president. I think it's going to go the way he said on Friday. It's going to go to a bunch of courts. It's going to end up in the Supreme Court. And remember, with the travel ban, everybody said, look at all the stuff he said about this. It's prejudicial. And the court said, yeah, we know he said it, but it doesn't matter. Could happen again. Right. Right. Now, 
Uh, so uh, since you raised right. that, because yeah, you I said just love it so much. He's going to go to court. And we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling, and then we'll get another bad ruling, and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court, and hopefully we'll get a fair shake, and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. So he sounds like a valley yeah. girl. He yeah. really does. It. <laughs> Going up at the end on every sentence. But, but I just want to point out, as I did earlier, there's a reason why this lawsuit could end up in the Ninth Circuit, because California is going to take the lead. Right. And California happens to be the Ninth Circuit. Right? Correct. So geographically, yes. it does make sense to be filed. And right? on the border. And on the border. <laughs> right. Yes, indeed. Right. But yeah. I think he's right. It's definitely going to the courts. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, I, I think in Congress, from probably on a fast track too. Yes, a, a big issue with it. I feel like their big issue is drawing funds away from the Pentagon. On top of the constitutional question of whether this is a huge overreach, should uh, I think the, the grab away from the Pentagon and necessary funds of so the, base housing. And, well, mm-hmm. right, let's talk about this and, and Julie Grace because there, 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 there's so, so many levels here. I mean, you know, one level is, is there a real emergency? I would argue no. But the other level, another level is, who has the responsibility under the Constitution to, for the purse, the, the spending, right? It's yeah, the I mean, Congress, it's a not, different the, nature than not the executive branch, right. correct? I mean, pretty clear. I mean, I think this is a, a, a real challenge to the powers of the United States Constitution. Uh, Congress. Yeah. It's a legitimate issue. And, you know, every time the Pentagon wants to move money around, they do what's called a reprogramming request, and it has to get congressional approval. <laughs> and usually it's pro forma because it's not a big deal. They recognize that, yeah. you know, this is no longer a problem. This money is better used somewhere else. But in terms of military construction money, members of Congress know that's a problem. And this could be the Achilles heel of this whole, you know, declaration. Every time you move money, it comes out of somebody's pocket. If there's a base in a red state that has been, you know, we're starting to see it. There's some school in Kentucky that Lindsey Graham was talking about yesterday that's not going to get its, you know, money. That's a story there. I'm honestly surprised by how many of kind of the far right, the very conservative Freedom Caucus guys that have been encouraging this and been on board given how they've been kind of like the liberty guys and the constitutionalists in the past or push back against similar things during the last administration. Well, needless to say, if this were a Democratic president who tried this, those constitutional issues would be front and center of the opposition of the Freedom Caucus. Rightfully so, as far as I'm concerned. Because, you know, as several people have pointed out, there's no doubt about it, this does set a bad precedent for Mm -hmm. future presidents. His or her pet project? Yeah. Ah, what the hell? I think it was Nancy Pelosi who already said last week that come a Democrat administration, they could very, very easily do something with gun control along the same nature, which I feel like Republicans would be. Climate change. Yeah. Yeah. National emergency, ban fossil fuels, <laughs> whatever. I mean. The problem with that, though, of course, is that climate change is like an actual real national emergency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the, you know, the border uh, situation. Uh, Which is fake yeah. info. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, at the same time, um, 
Congress long ago, Ray, ceded its war-making authority to the president of the United States. Yeah, and tried to claw some of it back with the War Powers Act, 1973. Got a little bit, but still, you know, has and we saw it with the, uh, you know, AUMF mm-hmm. after 9/11, and then Which Obama still- wanted a, another one, and no one wanted to deal with it. No one brought. And Tim Kaine made a big deal out that we need to do this, and it never came up because no one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to take the responsibility, and. I'll, Point out some of the good story by my former colleague at USA Today, Gregory Cordy, a few years ago on national emergencies. They never go away. They get instituted. Congress doesn't take the responsibility to say they're over with. So they get perpetuated until somebody realizes, uh, yeah, that was a problem that existed 20 years ago. We don't need to do it. So there's been an abdication of responsibility um, on the part of Congress. On yeah. this issue. Wait, wait, when you think they would stand up to say, wait a minute, this is our turf, right? Right. It doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat, this is our turf, and this is this is what we're here for. Um, See, you, I feel like privately talking to guys, like a lot of the Republicans well, behind the scenes, they ahead of the yeah. declaration, they, uh, they were definitely expressing some concerns. And it seems as soon as that happened, a lot of people jumped on board that... Well, that, that, that's, we were talking about this before you got here, that there must be privately Republicans, must, they, they, they see the problem here. Even a guy like Lindsey Graham, I don't care what he says, he knows this is not good public policy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of them are very concerned as to what comes ahead. I mean, well, some of them agree with the policy. Um, I would like to build the wall. I think well, a lot of them are with, that I've spoken to. But I'm talking about the emergency declaration. What are they, what is it? Are they... Afraid of getting a primary challenge? Is that? I'm sure that's part of it. And uh, being primaried from the right, and I mean, there's a lot of pressure from the top of the party to to kind of fall in line there. So it's yeah, right. Well, I think they're looking at you know the next election, all that. If you lose your base, you're not going to replace your base with somebody else. You're not going to attract a whole bunch of soft moderates to your campaign in 2020 based on this thing you you win or lose with your base and they're making that play over and over again even though it didn't work last november but i don't think they see that they have a choice it's a weird dynamic within the republican party right now just because i feel like there is such a divide between kind of Mm -hmm. trump's base and kind of your establishment republicans it does kind of put a lot of the guys in those swing districts in a very difficult position in retaining their seats come next term. Yeah. Right. So um, this vote is going to take place, I guess, next week when they come back. They'll do this yeah, vote. I haven't, uh, they haven't announced the schedule yet, but I'm guessing it'll probably be coming up within the next week or so since they're moving forward with things. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Meanwhile, um, how do you – so you cover particularly the House, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it must be pretty exciting days in the House. This Never a dull moment. Keeps me busy, <laughs> but I mean, particularly now with these new forty members, all of whom are rambunctious, and they have the you know they're, they're it's been fun. It's I'm still trying to get all the names down. I've got an app that I uh, <laughs> quizzes me on them while I'm. I would imagine, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and that one thing is, that seems pretty clear is that this is not a gang, that a uh, group of freshmen. This, this this class is not one that's going to sit back and wait. You know, like four or six years before they stand up and make a little noise. No, right. they're definitely no. vocal. It's uh, yeah, they're making, way, making they're making waves from day one. Right. 
Well, you know, look at the Republican class of 2010. They didn't wait either. You're right. You know, Good so point. why right. should these guys wait? I mean, why <clears throat> should anybody wait anymore? You see that there's no reward in doing that. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. And so, I mean, as one example, uh, this Green New Deal, mm-hmm. right, come out last week, and the House sponsor is a freshman, <laughs> Alexandria yes. Ocasio-Cortez, and some 70 members of the House signed on as co-sponsors. She's a powerhouse. I mean, I feel like she's, uh, it's going to be interesting how she kind of plays into 2020 politics and kind of putting a lot of her party on the record on some issues that, uh, that I think Republicans are kind of trying to paint the entire party as AOC at this point and kind of starting to uh, villainize her in the way they did Nancy Pelosi. And I guess it didn't work last midterm cycle. So it's... Uh, it works when it works, and it doesn't work when it doesn't work. I mean, every party tries to do that with their opponent. You pick an outlier, and you say, this person represents everybody, and then you tell you know, your opponents to denounce the person you're picking, and they're like, I'm not doing that. And Democrats are going to denounce her unless they absolutely have to, you know, if she alienates a key constituency. But until that time, no. Um this bill's going nowhere, by the way. It's not going to become law. Everybody knows well, it. By the way, again, it is a resolution, right? There right. is. It will end up being several bills at some point, maybe. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I feel like right now it's sure. just kind of a wish list. But uh, yeah. no, Mitch McConnell exactly. wants to bring it up just to... Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that's what happens. And that's why some people in the Democratic Party didn't want it to be brought up because they know that... And all this... You know, because you're seeing the argument now. Oh, you don't want people to fly in airplanes anymore. Right. You know, come on. Nobody believes that. That's not part of the law. It's a goal to reduce airline use, which is probably a good idea. But Yeah, a goal to build what we should have done a long time ago, a whole network of high-speed rail in this country. Yeah, in places where it makes sense. Oh, they just shut that down in California, right? Well, it reduced it from, from... Statewide to d- down the valley, you which I think was a mistake on the part Bakersfield of Bakersfield to Merced, a yeah, trip right. that nobody wants to make any faster it's, than they have to make it. It's the train to nowhere, <laughs> right? Right. The way the way Gavin Newsom has left it, right? Because right. it was the cost overruns were so high, and I mean, I think for a while you could say, "Well, it's worth it; it'll be better." But then the price tag just got ridiculous, and I think Newsom said, "I'm not doing that." Yeah, but so. Back to what the, the point on the Congress is: the Democrats, now that they have in charge of the House, it's not just going to be all defense anymore, right? I mean, they have their own Democratic own agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Which they'll be pushing. Plus, they've got the oversight responsibility, mm-hmm. which and, is going to make for some interesting hearings coming up. Right. <laughs> right. And on the Democratic on the agenda side. They originally talked about their number one goal was HR1, right? Mm-hmm. Which was this sort of government reform, voting rights, putting it kind of all together. Uh, is, that, is that alive? Is it moving? Are they... I mean, I've heard talk. I, I'm not sure when it's coming up, but I definitely think it's still alive. I uh, was talking to some members about it in the past couple of weeks, and there's definitely still a large push for it. Uh, it's not a bad place to start because, um, it, first of all, it's a real problem. With oh, the attempts yeah. to suppress the vote that we've seen, we saw under the Republican. And and with all the, you know, financial abuses and the money that's sloshing around everywhere, you know, post-Citizens United, it's just been the Wild West in terms of campaign finance. And I think people 
all over the spectrum realize that there's a problem with big money. However it manifests itself, you see that people get what they want that they probably don't deserve, and people who don't have a lot of money sometimes get hosed. They yeah. don't like it. I've, I've talked to a lot of Republicans where there's parts of the bill that they, they think they could get behind. And I think it, there's parts of it that could probably pass both chambers with uh, uh-huh. even Republican control. But there's certain provisions in there, like the uh, match on um, small donations that I know. I think if some of that language came out, it might be able to make it through the Senate. Right. But just just one pure mathematics, you know, the, the, uh, Donald Trump still says that three million people voted illegally for Hillary Clinton, which, uh-huh. of course, is never zero evidence for that. Uh, but what is true about 2016 is that two million fewer African-Americans voted in 2016, uh, t- 2018, I'm right. sorry, than 2016. Uh, and, um, or well, actually then, I think 2012 when, mm-hmm. no. So you didn't have a Barack Obama on the ballot. You didn't have an African-American on the ballot. Right. But also, a lot of that is because there were fewer voting places. Early voting had been yeah. restricted. And it, it really showed the impact of these voter suppression efforts on the part of many states. Right. Who no. were directed, intended to press down and suppress the African-American vote particularly. It's it no, worked. It's no secret that minority voters are harder to get to the polls on election day for a variety of reasons. Republicans know that. Democrats know that. That's why Democrats want to have more early voting. Gives them 10 times to get their voter to the polls. Most Republican voters only need one time to get to the polls. And they go and they do it. And that's why they win, particularly in low turnout elections. Right. Uh, I thought it was interesting Friday that uh, the president was asked, why didn't you do this earlier? Um, and um, he, he sort of took an indirect swipe at the former speaker. If we can find that clip, I just, uh, he doesn't mention him by name. Uh, do, do you have that there, Peter? Okay, we're good. We'll find it. Yeah. Would have been great to have done it earlier, but I was a little new to the job, a little new to the profession. And we had a little disappointment for the first year and a half. People that should have stepped up did not step up. <laughs> Who could he be? Thank you. Who could he be talking about? Right. In fact, uh, the, the reporter I forget her, who asked the question said, are you talking about Paul Ryan? <laughs> It's not important. Let's just yeah. yeah. No. Paul Ryan was spotted at the White House a couple weeks ago too, which is uh. uh he was oh. yeah, not in the Oval Office. I don't think he was over in the old Executive Office building. No. <laughs> <laughs> They'll build him in there, mm. but uh, no love lost between Trump and Ryan, huh? No, definitely. Uh, I mean that was a tense relationship through the entire. I feel like all of Ryan's tenor. They feel like they were just two personalities that were never going to be able to kind of uh, bond. The um, so, so to, to, as an example of that, so I, I don't, don't ask me why, but I read Cliff Sims' book, The Team of Vipers, mm-hmm. and, and he tells one <laughs> one day at the White House where Paul Ryan came down to brief the president on oh oh their attempts to repeal Obamacare. Here's how we were going to do it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, <laughs> you know Ryan, of course, the policy nerd. Right, so he comes. He's sitting in front of the resolute desk, uh, and Mike Pence is there, 
and Cliff Sims is there sort of sitting against a wall just observing this, uh, which he did on a lot of occasions, and Donald Trump behind the desk with his Diet Coke, and Paul Ryan starts, and he drones on and on. I mean, Trump has the attention span of a gnat. Right. Uh, and his old, he said, Cliff says, you could tell the president five minutes in if that sort of totally couldn't follow it anymore, mm-hmm. wasn't interested, rolling his eyes, looking out the window. Paul Ryan just drones on and on and on. At which point, Trump gets up, picks up his diet cook, gets up, walks out of the room <laughs> without even saying, I've got something to do or I've got to go to Beth. And no, Paul Ryan. Walks, <laughs> walks out of the room and goes into his little private study and turns on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan, Ryan is sitting there not knowing what's going on with Pence, and nobody says anything. Sims, Pence, they're in the Oval Office. Trump is over there. They can hear the TV. They know what he's doing. So finally, after a few minutes, Pence gets up and goes in, closes the door, whatever, talks mm-hmm. to Trump. And then a few minutes later, Trump comes back in, and he never says, I'm sorry, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Ryan picks up all over again and starts into this thing. It's just... just total lack of interest. <laughs> and Ryan just didn't get it, right? At all. I, I, yeah. <laughs> policy versus, uh, I mean, I feel like Trump's whole personality, so it's... Uh, I mean, I, I've got to but imagine that I, Mitch McConnell in a less public way probably has similar issues. I would think so. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, I, any politician that has dedicated their lives to public service, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, can't honestly in their private time take trump seriously you know what i mean i mean it's just like them or not depending on where you are on the political spectrum these are people that kind of understand how government actually works and trump just doesn't and doesn't care to learn how to either but in the end trump wins right like mitch mcconnell has said for the last three weeks if not before Emergency declaration is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. I don't think we should do this. Boom, boom, boom. He tells the president that, you know, if you do this, you could have a little revolt in the Senate or whatever. And apparently they talked like three times on Thursday. And Donald Trump says, I'm going to do it anyway. And then Mitch McConnell comes out and says, okay, I'll support it. I had just written an entire, like, a uh, thousand-word article with one of my coworkers on how there was uncertainty on whether he signed the bill, and then Mitch McConnell came out, and he's like, and he's declaring emergency declaration. I was like, oh, man, if you only waited five minutes, right. I could have gotten that on our website. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Yeah. No, it looked like it was going in that direction. It did mm-hmm. look like it was headed in that direction. But, yeah, I feel like uh, their whole dynamic, and I don't think Mitch McConnell's going to have the easiest to reelect. I mean, he's up come 2020 and he's kind of put in a difficult position with a lot of these things like you know the government shut down i'm guessing but, from things i had heard that but where will his challenge for re-elect come from the right or from the left oh could, it could be both <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know who runs against him in a primary i mean what matt, maybe matt bevan will do it again he might be looking for something to do um but kentucky's a hard place to run as a Democrat, and there's a lot of, you know, dead Democratic candidates lying by the side of the road who thought they could beat Mitch McConnell. Haven't. Mm-hmm. 
Right. N- nothing shocks me in elections anymore, right. though. It's, uh, it's like it's a whole new world out there. Post- but the idea yeah. that there could be a challenge from the right to Mitch McConnell, I, 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 hard to believe. Also, a challenge that uh, looks like Lindsey Graham is afraid of a challenge from, from the right in South Carolina. I mean, how much farther to the right than can get than today, well, Lindsey? I mean, not- they said that in 2014 when he ran, and it never materialized with any kind of credibility. Right. Um, he's sure acting like somebody who's afraid of a challenge from the right. Um, you know, I used to think that an incumbent senator who's paying attention, you know, somebody who was not Richard Lugar mm-hmm. or Bob Bennett, could win a primary. But now with the availability of small donor money right. that can go like that, it's a totally different game. Yeah. Lindsey Graham's been on an that? interesting one to watch throughout this administration. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the yeah, show. I mean, he was the guy the who voted for Evan McMullen and now is... Uh, that's it. Good. Out right. of time. We've got to thank you both, Ray Locker, right? Uh, Julie Grace, thank you so oh, much for, for coming you. in. Yeah, uh, let's enjoy this week while Congress is out of town. See you us. enjoy today. See Bill you tomorrow. Press show.